Hi, this is Robert Schuler with Melissa's Produce, and you're listening in on Cord Vines and Dimes. Hi, this is Buzz Campbell, and you're listening to Cord's Vines and Dimes. Can't stay home tonight, so I go out for a bite, but it just don't look right. It's no fun, cause people stare at me. Sympathetically, when I tell the Mater D, I'm a party of one. I get home each night and leave on a light, wishing she'd forgive things I've done. But every day goes by, not to my surprise, I've come to realize I'm a party of one. Hey, that was our friend Buzz Campbell. Isn't that fun? What a fun interview we had with oh, Buzz and his so music. Good. That's almost got a Tex-Mex flavor to it. I know he's considered rockabilly, but that with the accordion, that's kind of a Tex-Mex. I'm excited. I am excited to see him and uh, Lee, Lee Rocker. Rocker. Yes. On uh, on October sixth, isn't it? Fifth. October fifth, and we we almost had Lee Rocker on this week's show, but uh, there was a little mis a communication breakdown, as Led Zeppelin would say. But we're gonna have him next week. We are. That's a for sure. And I'm so looking forward to seeing both Lee and Buzz. It's going to be a great show at Wayne's, at, at Wayne's on October 5th. And uh, another wonderful production for, with hey our Dave. friend Robert Rankin-Walker. And we'll be there front and center at our VIP table. And photos. Yes. You know, I mean, we always take photos. You and I are the ultimate photographers. we got to take photos. At least I do, at least live performance. Yeah. I have to. I mean, I can't go to a live performance concert without taking pictures. So Buzz is our guest this week, and we also have Nandita Godbol. I'm going to take a stab at that. G-O-D-B-O-L-E. B-O-L-E. And her book is just gorgeous. It's called Masaladar, a classic Indian spice blends. So uh, she goes through a few recipes with us, and the book, I just I really strongly encourage you to find it. Uh, it's much easier to find online. You can get it in uh, Google Play or in the Apple uh, Store. But uh, it's magnificent. And I'm not through looking oh. going through that whole book. Yep. I'm going to make something out of it. I hope, hope so. I'll yes. be your guinea pig. Well, it's all mostly veggie. That's okay. That's okay. I know you can eat veggie. Yeah. If, it ta- if it's tasty, I'm all on board. Yeah. And she's got some really good ideas. Uh, those spices, what get, gets me, I have to find a regular Indian market to get some of those uh, I, spices. I think there's one off of uh, Murrieta Hot Springs, pretty sure. Oh, is there? Yeah. Cool, because we'll have to, I'll have to go check it out. But, yeah, I'm very anxious to try some of her uh, recipes on and there. That ties into our uh, produce sponsor, Melissa's Produce, and uh, Nandita talks a little bit about uh, Melissa's and how she sources a lot of her products from there. Well, they uh, sponsor her cookbook. Yeah, melissas.com. Um, it's my turn to come up with the recipe. You just did that beautiful yes. uh, immunity soup with turmeric and ginger. Uh, so good. Coconut. Yes, coconut milk and coconut, coconut oil. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. It's good. I, I had so much of I did freeze some of it. And so I'm going to have some more in a few weeks. But, yeah, I like to make a bunch of soups and freeze it and then just bring them out when we need them. We'll be playing the game of food in a little while. 
Can we talk about our brunch this morning? Oh, my goodness. Um, So I had just gotten back from the Bay Area. I went to see my sister and her family and some of my first cousins. And, you know, at this point in your life, you don't see your family as much as you used to. So I drove up to Marin County on Thursday night. Uh, Friday, we uh, had lunch in Sausalito. Just a beautiful setting right on the bay. Three hours of just taking our time and reminiscing. And uh, so I got back yesterday afternoon, a 480-mile drive, give or take. And uh, so we decided to celebrate my return. And we we went to downtown public in Murrieta. Right across, if you don't know where it is, it's uh, across the street from Anthony's and kind of next door, almost next door to the wine ranch. Right. And you had avocado taste, uh, taste <laughs> avocado toast yes. with uh, tomatoes and bacon on sourdough, house-made sourdough. Yes. Oh, it was so good. And I had a croque madame, which is two very thick slices of bread toast uh, with ham and a uh, fried egg on top and a... Kind of a Gruyere cheese, and uh, the sauce, the sauce was, that was very good. Yeah, it was delicious, but I, I literally couldn't get through half of it. It was yeah. so much food. And then the best part. Bubbles. Bubbles. <laughs> it's, if it's Sunday, it must be bubble time. Yeah, uh, opera, opera Primo. It was a sparkling wine I had not heard of from Spain, and I've never seen, to my recollection, a sparkling wine with a screw top. But it was delicious. It was good. Yeah, we couldn't just have... One glass. No. I mean, that's not in our nature. That's silly. Not in my nature to have one glass. But, so yeah. anyway, we really... It was a very nice brunch. Thank was, you very much. You're welcome. So I'm excited about our show today. I kind of get excited about every show we have, but uh, really a great visit with Nandita. I think you'll like her a lot. And uh, Buzz Campbell, what more can I say? It's another superb show, Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Kat. Let's uh, check in with Nandita, should we? Let's do it. We are so happy to have Nandita with us today. And please pronounce the title of your book because uh, there's a lot of words in the book that I'm having trouble saying. <laughs> That's not a problem. Uh, the book is called Masale Dar. It's a book about classic Indian spice blends. And it was just published in June of 2023. So it's fresh off the, sh- you know, fresh from the box. Well, Kat is leafing through it right now. I've, I've been leafing through it for the past couple of days. It's it's just a beautiful book, and it, it the amount of love uh, that you put into it is, is very obvious. Thank you very much. It was a book that's about 20 years in the making um, in terms of concept and ideologies and uh, trying to chase down different uh, threads, as you would, uh, in terms of what Indian flavors are like and what defines Indian cuisine and that has been a passion of mine for a little more than a decade just in terms of writing but I grew up to the cuisine so often seeing it be misunderstood would hurt my heart and when I started thinking about this book I was uh, very eager to share how the spices and the flavors come together in Indian cuisine uh, in, it seems like a complex way, but it's sometimes you have to step back and just let some of the flavors evolve. And that's what the book's about. Well, Nandita, 
I know that if you say Indian food, a lot of people will just come up with, oh, well, that's curry and that's such and such. It's just like saying mm -hmm. Mexican food is tacos and burritos, uh, French food. Right. Is, uh, no. I mean, it, what part of India are you in? What part of Mexico are you in? Each region has its own cuisine. That's very true, and that was one of the reasons why I started writing or even thinking about this book, because I would get asked about, oh, how do you make curry? Or, uh, you know, it's too complicated for me. I'm just going to reach for the curry powder box. And that's not how we cook. That is not a term that we use um, as a category of, you know, as a way to define the cuisine. It's kind of we think of it more as an adjective to a dish so it's a style of a dish or you know it's the characteristics of it but it doesn't tell you anything about the flavor and that's what we think of it as so the point of writing uh, masaledar was to explore how regional indian cuisine differs and what it can mean uh, what was the history of it how did it evolve in time um, you know, how does a particular region behave in terms of how it responds to the weather and the landscapes and the people and the, their occupations and the resources they have handy? And there's so many pieces that go into making a cuisine regional and special that by putting it under just a general term of curry, it kind of wipes it down to, you know, a pinch. And that's not the cuisine. You have so many uh, ingredients in there that uh, I've never heard of. What, what would be your go-to source for Indian spices? Uh, that's a great question. I would just uh, scooch over and find the local market because I'm a strong, strong, strong believer in supporting our local small businesses in whatever part of the world you're in, because they're really working to get some flavors over to you. Uh, so if you are in a community that has any kind of ethnic markets or markets that carry foods from Asia, uh, take a walk through their aisles. They may be narrow. They may have different smells. But the point is to find, you know, the comfort in knowing that you're not alone in uh, navigating that. Uh, the folks there are often very eager to help and guide you one way or another. I've gone into a store many times, even my one of the Indian stores around here, and I will have people walk over and ask me, you know, hey, do you buy this kind of cumin or that? And I will take, you know, five minutes out of whatever I'm doing to just explain it to them. And they, they are so excited. People get so excited to help other people out, especially when it comes to Indian spices. So I would recommend go do that um, and... 99.9% .9 of times, uh, you will find things in your local markets that will surprise you. So those are your best bets. And, of course, if all else fails, then there are spice merchants around the country uh, who do good work. And, you know, if you have a smaller pantry, you may want to look into 
uh, or rather smaller pantry space, you may want to look into some of those. So there could be either burlap and barrel or pansies or spicella or, uh, you know, there there's Diaspora Co. in out of San Francisco. So there are lots of different people who carry whole spices in addition to just, you know, you're straight up McCormick and, you know, running across into Target and and scanning the shelves for whole ingredients, which is what I recommend folks do is start with whole spices. Kat and I are both photographers and we're both marveling over the beautiful photographs in your book. Thank you. It was fun to do the photos. Um, I do all of my own photography. And I struggled with trying to, and, and this is book number seven. So, you know, I've done the photography for all my other books as well. And with this one, I was really, really keen on stepping away from the, not the traditional, but the more conventional forms of how Indian food is depicted and wanted to make it more about the the granular, you know, nature of the cuisine. It's very nuanced. It can be very delicate. It can be very bold. Um, And it can be very evocative of places. And just to put it, you know, in an ordinary white bowl was not going to happen on this one. So I learned, I was learning pottery and I had just started and, um, long story short, somewhere in the first couple of months of writing this book, I stumbled into a space where I was like, oh, I could actually use the time that I'm learning pottery to make cups and bowls and plates and things that I want to use um, and be able to showcase different aspects about the cuisine through that. So it became a conversation, uh, you know, about how do we present cuisines that are not commonly known uh, how do we get people to talk more about them uh, for instance I um, spend a fair bit of time exploring leaf plates and that's not something that people typically just you know off the bat assume that they know enough about um, across India there are lots of small communities and uh, far off places where people forage just like they do here but it is an active uh, part of their their rituals uh, and their cooking process but the foraging is not so much for just the raw materials for what they are going to cook but they will go out and seek uh, plant materials to use as, uh, as plates uh, and there are several kinds there are at least 12 or 15 different kinds of locally growing vegetation that is used in making dinnerware um, that is used on a daily basis. So it's kind of like a no big deal thing. And I thought that was such a cool thing for us to recognize how people were so connected to where they're living that they just want to bring more of it into their living spaces and their dining spaces. And we tend to forget that. Um, that these are communities and cuisines that have a much deeper tie to the regions they're from. So when I was doing the pottery, I 
deviated much to my uh, teacher's annoyance um, <laughs> because I wasn't telling her what I was doing. I, she really just wanted me to make these perfect looking bowls and perfect looking cups and mugs. And I was like, but Kathy, I can't really do that. It's, you know, it's not in me. And she, I wasn't, I wasn't confident that the end result would be what I wanted it to be. And at one point I started, I was being, I was getting afraid that I might have to just reshoot every dish because everything looked uh, different. And as I saw things come together, I, I, you know, was plating things at home after they came out from the kiln and um, I was happy with the photography, but I had not shown her what my end results were going to be. So after the book was done and I gave her a copy, she was blown away. She was like, now it makes sense because this is what you are doing. And I was like, surprise. Um, but, it, it, you know, it really did bring us the conversation about what, how we engage in cuisines that are, we are not familiar with. And sometimes we need to push the boundaries of our comfort in terms of presentation and what comes to the table or how do we understand a cuisine and um at that point when when kathy saw my my book in the finished form and even the the program director who used to roll his eyes every time i gave him a you know a plate or a bowl and he was like okay you're being creative i don't know what you're doing and go for it but you know he never understood where how it fit into the big puzzle uh so it, it did surprise a lot of people that i took that risk and i'm glad that it turned out as 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 it did and is being very well received so i hope we encourage more people to have this conversation about where those ingredients and those dishes come from well nandita cat is now uh She's just been, since you've been talking, just exploring this book in depth, and I know you have some questions, Kat. Well, I'm just saying some of these peppers, these chilies you use, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> We're gonna, I mean, I know we couldn't possibly get some of these out here. I was wondering on substitutions. Um, mm. Most of these actually were purchased in the U.S., so if you have access to a store, you can find them. Okay. Um, but uh, the reason I chose uh, to bring a conversation about regional peppers is because we have a great, uh, you know, we have a great tradition in the U U.S. for um, for identifying how different things are very connected to the land and how they are very specific to different recipes, especially from those from coming from Latin America, and particularly when it comes to uh, the chilies. Well, India does have a very strong tradition on about those in, in the same way, uh, in terms of which chilies make, um, which blends happen, which chilies are preferred uh, for a particular region or for a regional cuisine. And I did want to bring that conversation. So, yes, you can find all of these chilies in the United States, in your local ethnic Indian marketplace, um, they are becoming more and more popular, trust me. Um, and I have found some unique ones that I didn't think to include before. But, um, and that's why I give folks a scale of like, you know, these are the ones that you're going to find and based on how much tolerance you have, 
for some of the chilies, you can, you know, you can decide which ones you want to use, which is for any recipe, I strongly recommend folks just use their own best judgment for themselves of whether or not they can manage with a particular set of flavors and heat. And it's always okay to, to dial down and then work your way up rather than just work with, you know, a thousand percent of something and then say, oh my God, it's too spicy and I can't eat it. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're, you will find Kashmiri chilies in local markets. You will find uh, cayenne pepper in local markets pretty much anywhere. So I don't think that the folks should have uh, too much trouble finding things, but, you know, I'm, you know, I've been, I've been told in the past and my friends joke about it and call me like the turkey hotline for Indian cooking. And so they reach out to me over, over text or, you know, if they know me, like if, if we have each other's phone numbers, they will text me or what have you. Or if they're on social media, they will either DM me or whatnot. And I leave those open for people. So my Instagram is at Curry Cravings. And that in itself, you know, we had this conversation about what is curry. And, you know, it is part of my name, but it's, it's, it's satire to me that we think about curry. But if I ask you what kind most people don't have the answer. So that's where the conversation begins. But yeah, if uh, folks have, uh, you know, questions about where to find things or what to substitute with, I'm open for all of those over social media. I know where to find you. <laughs> ah, yes, you do. Yes, you do. I was saying some of your names on here. Um, I couldn't even begin to pronounce them. <laughs> if I have Go friends ahead. over, I like to tell them what, what it's called. <laughs> Well, I, I think I have a solution for that. Um, I think you might benefit from having one of those little, um, you know, those tabletop easels and just have the book out and just let people explore the, the dish on their own. I do that a lot of times, uh, and I encourage my friends to do it as well because it just helps people understand that you're not making things up and you have made changes, which is totally fine, uh, but it does give you know, it adds another level of conversation and depth to what you're cooking. For a lot of dishes, I have tried to include, um, I want to say like a, a generic spelled out English version of it. But when I look at some of those names personally, I just find it's really funny to, you know, spell it out that way. It would be easy for me to just say, put a, you know, put a cherry toast versus the put a cherry masala French toast, you know. Right. Um, so it, it's just personal preference so don't feel pressured to do it one way or another well we're looking at your book on an ipad um is it also available in in print or is it strictly an online book uh it is available in print directly through me i have not placed it on amazon just about yet um there is that we are we were sold out of all the books that i had earlier and so we're running a second set um, so it's gone into reprint and therefore, like, if you want a, a book like today, the best thing would be to, to pick it out of either a Kindle version, a Google play version or an iBook version. But, um, if folks are looking for a print book, they can reach me directly and then I can guide them to where to buy it from, um, and, you know, that just makes it a little bit easier. There are a couple of, um, 
booksellers out there, particularly Omnivore Books, carries my books. Uh, so she may have some copies, although she oftentimes like runs out and forgets to reorder. <laughs> so um, you may have to check with her as well. And again, you are at Curry Cravings. That's correct. At Curry Cravings. Um, pretty much any social platform, I'm at Curry Cravings. My favorite one to use that I'm most active on is Instagram. I don't use Twitter too much. And I don't do TikTok too much, although I'm told I should. So, well, Your book is absolutely fascinating going through it and trying to figure out which recipe I'm going to start with. There are some simple ones. You could always start with potatoes if you like potatoes. And um, Melissa's Produce was very kind to sponsor the book. And um, they were always, you know, it was funny because um, I would say, oh, you know, I'm looking for this. And my biggest enabler of all my cooking experiments has been Melissa's Produce. And so they have a lot of things that I've, uh, you know, I use in my books. Plus, they carry a lot of things. So I recommend if you have nothing that you, on your in your pantry and you just want to start somewhere simple, start with potatoes and pick any dish, any recipe and make it with potatoes um, or make any dish out of that with, you know, your cremini mushrooms and you'll get the sense of it and how those flavors work and just modify your raw materials and ingredients based on what you have. That's what Indian cooking is all about, is using what you can find and adapting it to a particular recipe because that makes life easy. Nandita, are you aware that Melissa's Produce is our official produce sponsor? I did not know that, but now I do. How fun. We have Robert Schuler to thank for uh, the introduction. Oh, he is amazing, yes. He is an amazing... uh, an amazingly kind person as just as a person outside of his role for Melissa's. But um, I've known him for, I want to say a good part of seven or eight years, but in that time we've worked so often together. Uh, He has welcomed every single book of mine since I have known him. And they have been a, a great supporter of my work because they know that they have some of the best produce and some of the best produce in the market. And we are both finding ways for people to to learn more, to cook differently, to cook better things, et cetera. So it's a great partnership for both of us. And especially with Indian cuisine being something that people are always eager to learn about and know about. Um, so that keeps me on my toes as well. Sometimes I'll see things on their offerings and I'll go, oh, ooh, I want to try that. And um, for instance, uh, the, the, there's, there's a recipe in here for the golden berries that uses a golden berry chutney. And I had eaten golden berry in India, but I didn't know that, they, that, there, was a market, uh, that was, there was a market that carried it. And when I saw it on their uh, offerings, I was like, oh, my God, yes, let's try including that because it's such a great product. It's such a great uh, fruit. It lasts in your refrigerator for a, for a fair bit of time if you don't have time to cook it. So you can use it, you know, buy it ahead of time and keep and, and work with it. But they have so many really, really, you know, unique um, ingredients and, and fruits that come out of the tropics that are always – always fun for me um 
for instance, there's a fruit out of India, uh, which is called the custard apple, uh, and it's a relative of the cherimoya. And, you know, we find that some of the flavors are similar and they are different in structure. But if you want to swap one for the other, you can. Uh, although, sadly, there isn't a cherimoya recipe in, in Masaledar because I don't think I'll have the patience to cook with it. I might just eat it. <laughs> it's best. It's it's insanely good. Um, so, you know, there, I, I hope people are encouraged to try out ingredients they don't know uh, just because it kind of keeps cooking more fun. Um, you know, there are days, of course, you know, you just want to make boxes of mac and cheese, you know, whatever kind you might have, or throw in some pasta into a pot and have it boiling. But there are recipes in masala there which will take probably five, seven minutes to put together. Um, some that take a little bit longer, some that take a little planning. So I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that, you know, kitchen time should be used wisely. And we don't need to slog for hours in order to have a great meal. And you just have to know where to start and begin and end. And once you have that kind of framework in your mind, you can make a really, really simple dish come together in a snap. Uh, and actually, I'm going to recommend one if um, if you guys are up for eating shrimp. Do you guys eat shrimp? Love shrimp. Okay, awesome. Uh, so in one of the recipes from one part of India, from uh, the coast, from the Lakshadweep Islands, this is the islands, uh, these are islands off of the coast of Kerala. So think far south and towards the west into a little bit into the, uh, the Arabian Sea. And these are really, really tiny islands that are, you know, battered by every single hurricane that comes through and all that. But I have a recipe in here for uh, shrimp and coconut milk over mm -hmm. string hoppers. And I'm not even joking. In the time it will take someone to set up a table, this dish comes together. Wow. So it is coconut milk, cilantro leaves a ginger paste if you have it, green chilies if you have it, a spot of sesame oil or gingerly oil, some curry leaves, some black pepper corn, and some shrimp, salt and lemon. And then to serve with it, you have some cooked rice or some cooked rice noodles, which are also called hoppers in that part of the country. And you make a little sauce, blending the coconut milk with the cilantro, ginger, and green chilies. So your jalapenos or what have you. And again, there you, you know, decide how hot you want it. So if you don't like anything too spicy, you know, hold off on the green chilies. And then you saute, um, I'm sorry, you warm a pan with some oil, add in the curry leaves, add in black pepper to season the oil. And very carefully, just very carefully, just tip that sauce in to the coconut milk sauce that you've created. Tip it into the pan. Let all of that come together and slide in some of your cleaned shrimp into it. Add salt and lemon. And you're done. Sounds it heavenly. is so fast. Sounds it heavenly. is so fast. It's, it is great. It's a great weeknight dish when you really don't want to cook a whole ton of things. Um, the sauce you can make ahead of time because it's so simple and, you know, have it ready in your fridge if, you know, if you 
things that you're going to have a long day and you just want a nice steaming bowl of something uh, to kind of just dig into uh, and it's rice noodles so it's gluten free so you know there are lots of dishes like that through the book and the point of including some of this was to showcase how simple Indian cuisine doesn't have to be you know 1200 steps which I had found recipes and I found um, dishes that were awesome but they had so many steps that I was like even I am tired of reading it <laughs> so um you know uh, yeah I love biryani I it is one of my absolute favorite dishes but not only have I covered it in a previous book but I know someone doesn't want to sit and make all the different ingredients of prepping the meat one way and then prepping the rice a certain way and then layering it all and then you know putting it out into the oven to to kind of come together, that process in itself is like a four-hour-long process. Yikes. I, I, would, I would be famished. I would have ordered takeout and be ready for a next meal by the time my biryani is ready. So I have stayed away from labor-intensive dishes just because that's not the best place to start. That's when you have all the time in the world and you have 12 helpers to help you around. Most people don't have that luxury, so. We don't. No. (laughs) (laughs) I surely don't. So I appreciate you taking the time to to join us on our show, and I'm just really fascinated with this cookbook. I'm going to keep going through it. Oh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get to cook something from it. There are plenty of simple, simple things. Um, There is another fish dish, if you like. With wow. uh, with a mustard mustard sauce that uh, comes from West Bengal, that's one of our family favorites. Oh, I have to check that one out for sure. Nandita, we can't thank you enough for your time and for sharing your lovely book with us. And uh, we'll we hope to visit with you again. Of course, thank you so much for chatting with me. I hope you enjoy Masala Dar. I hope your listeners get to find it. Uh, Masala Dar is on all ebook platforms, and I am on Instagram as Curry Cravings. So I look forward to connecting with everybody. Kat, isn't she wonderful? She was great. I just really am so excited to try some of her recipes out. She makes it sound so easy. I know, yeah. (laughs) I am dubious, but let's delve into one of her recipes and give it a shot. Let's let's plan it, and then we'll report back on it. Absolutely. So what are we going to do now, Tom? I think that it might be time for us to play the game of food. The game of food. I handed you two cards. Yes. You You have two cards. You want to grill me first, or am I going to grill Should you? Should I grill you? Okay. Cooking tools and techniques. Are you ready? I'm ready. Cooking tools and techniques. Designed by the Italian inventor Luigi De Ponte and introduced in 1933, what is a mocha pot used to make? That's M-O-K-A. Okay. A, pasta, B, tomato sauce, C, hot chocolate, or D, coffee? Well, the obvious choice is coffee, but I'm going to probably be wrong and say hot chocolate. <laughs> coffee. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's the obvious choice, mocha, but. Yep. Okay, your category is people and pop culture. 
What cooking term has Rachel Ray been credited with popularizing? We've done this recently. But yes. Evie. We, yeah, no, let's, let's pull another one out. That one should not have been near the front of the pile, but I have another one. Isn't that good? Evie. Oh, oh. People in pop culture. Okay. Same category. By weight, this is the world's most expensive food, costing as much as $10,000 per pound. Oh, my gosh. Is it A, vanilla? B, black truffle, C, caviar, or D, saffron? Ooh. $10,000 a pound. $10,000 a pound. And I would say uh, 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 vanilla. <laughs> saffron. Saffron. I, you know, I should have gone with my first instinct. Because it's, it, it's light as a feather. Right. You pick up saffron, it's just it doesn't weigh anything. So, okay, my turn, I guess. Okay, ingredients. Yep. What's the main criterion for grading a piece of beef, USDA prime, choice, or select? A, marbling, which is intramuscular fat. B, flavor. C, how long the beef has been aged. Or D, the age of the cow at slaughter. A, marbling. You're right. Thank you. Uh, regional dishes for you. Oh, boy. In this country, coffee beans are sometimes roasted with lard to enhance their dark, caramelized flavors. Is it A, Singapore, B, Colombia, C, Ethiopia, or D, Australia? Where do they roast their coffee beans with lard? Oh, I don't know. Let's just take a stab at it. Australia. Singapore. Ooh, Singapore. Okay. Well, you got one up on me. Okay. That's it. Hey, That's didn't it. you have a, a, a did, little did trivia thing? Two, did I get two questions? Yeah, you had ingredients, didn't okay. you? Didn't I give you both? Let's see. What was? Yeah, you had the coffee one okay. and the marbling. Okay, perfect. All right. I okay. just like this game so much. I wish you could go well, on we could forever. Well, we could do another one if you like. <laughs> no, that's okay. Didn't you have a, a little trivia thing about slice of pizza? I, oh, yes. Um, how many slices of pizza do you think are sold in the United States every second? That was a tough one. Is yeah. it 100? Is it 350? Is it 700? Or is it 1,200? Oh, gosh. In this Every country. second in this country. I'd say 1,200. 350 slices of pizza sold every every second. Wow. Yep. That's a lot of pizza. That's a lot of pizza. Well, good. So should we talk about our next guest? Buzz, Buzz. Campbell. Uh, and we've is, both known him forever. Yeah, we have. Like I said, I did photos with him and Lee Rocker about 11, maybe 12 years ago. And then we saw him again. I think it was one of Tim Moyer's events yep. over at that, uh, and, and was Robert Rankin Walker. And I do want to thank Robert for setting, helping set this up. And we do have to promote his upcoming show again. It's Lee Rocker and uh, Brian, why am I drawing up, uh, Buzz Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Buzz Campbell, and that's on October fifth, the Thursday evening at Wayne's Winery. Uh we're gonna be there front and center 
And it's going to be an amazing evening, uh, which leads us into our first guest, who is Bud Campbell. What a background this man has. Uh, I want to say that Robert's event, it's Heyday's Rockabilly Rumble. Yeah, yes. Robert emphasized that it's motorcycle and classic car concert at Ween's Family Cellars out in Temecula. Uh, Lee Rocker, of course, is from the orig- uh, an original Stray Cat. And then uh, Buzz Campbell, who also a little stint with the Stray Cat. His band now is called Buzz Campbell and the Heartaches. Uh, he's also with uh, played with Shauna Na, Hot Rod Lincoln. And we'll get into all that with his interview. Yep, indeed. So shall we get into it? Let's go. Here's- and then right after his interview, we're going to go to one of his songs. Yes, perfect. Okay, let's do it. Tom, I am so excited. I have loved Buzz Campbell for <laughs> at least 11 or 12 years. Uh, he's a guitarist, a vocalist, songwriter, part of, uh, with Lee Rocker and the Stray You ever played with the Stray Cats before, right? That's when I first met you, I think, Buzz. Yes, I've, I've been with, well, I've been with Lee Rocker for 20 years, and I actually, uh, did a tour in 2008 with the original Stray Cats and actually sat in with them as well while we were out. That's incredible. You've also played with uh, Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, Willie Nelson, Bo Diddley, Chris Isaac. Wow, that's, those are some notable names. Yeah, I've gotten to uh, to meet and play with quite a few of my, uh, my heroes, a lot, of, a lot of my musical idols. It's been a pretty, pretty amazing uh, career. And I know when I first saw you uh, several years ago, I was just totally amazed. And I think, too, at that time, you were playing with, uh, Brophy Dale was um, in the band, or played sure. that night. Mm-hmm. And I've seen mm-hmm. Brophy a couple of times, mostly at NAMM show, but um, what a great concert that was. And that was my introduction to, to Rockabilly, actually, to see Lee standing up on that bass and playing it was incredible and then we yeah, saw you fantastic sure go ahead i'm sorry no and then we saw you uh with tim boyer at one of his gigs and you were performing there i think it was in murrieta one of his his gigs and it was so nice i i you're just wonderful and so glad to see you and so glad to know you well thank you so much i couldn't agree with you more <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for the compliment. I work with a lot of different people, a lot of different styles that, you know, I'm, I'm a roots, roots music lover, so I, I like a lot of styles of roots music, you know, old blues and country as well as rockabilly and rock and roll. Now, you're originally from Texas, and you started playing very young age. Um, I, I got... Um, I was into music at a pretty young age, and uh, my father was really into uh, uh, different styles of music, and he, and he had a lot of doo-wop tapes, you know, a lot of 50s um, doo-wop, acapella, and uh, uh, early rock and roll groups. That was his era, the, the early 50s. So I got exposed to a lot of that music pretty early, and I uh, started playing guitar really just for fun in high school. Uh, probably as a freshman, and um, and then started getting pretty serious about it uh, uh, in my kind of late teens and early twenties. When did you start going professional? Well, I I probably started my first band, which was out of San Diego, called Hot Rod Lincoln, and that was probably in 
the early, I think, I want to say 1990, we started that band and started playing out. And uh, pretty quickly it caught on in San Diego. I went from, uh, uh, you know, just kind of, it was kind of a side hobby to uh, playing five, six, seven nights a week very quickly, uh, first probably year. So by, by 1991, 92, I was playing just, just at least five to, five to seven nights a week in San Diego. Did that band name come from Commander Cody or did he, which came first, <laughs> Commander Cody or you? Uh, well, that's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I had, what I had was, I had this compilation, it was a CD, and it was a rockabilly compilation CD that somebody had given me, and at that time I was collecting a lot of music, trying to learn that style, because I was really, really infatuated with it, and uh, it was a, a CD, and it had uh, Commander Cody's on there, and also had the Stray Cats on there, oh, wow. and I saw, I, I, I saw his song, I loved the song, his version, um, it's actually originally it was done in the '40s uh, by a guy named a guy named Charlie Ryan wrote it, and then a guy named Johnny Bond did it, and then Commander Cody covered that. And uh, I, his version was the one that I was first uh, exposed to and uh, loved it. And and I remember very well. I was actually in my I was like rooming with a couple other guys in some little apartment in San Diego, and uh, and I. When we were going through the titles of the songs, and I remember I said Hot Rod Lincoln, <laughs> and my roommate said, that's what you should call your band. That'd be a great name for your band. And we both kind of dismissed them, me and the bass player. And I went, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. And then the next day, uh, I remember uh, we kind of called each other and went, I have a good name for the band. I think he's right. <laughs> and it's stuck. So, so, yeah, that's how that came about. So, Buzz, how did you get hooked up with Sean and I? I want to hear that story. Sure. Um, yeah, that was a that was like my first major, I guess, national break. I was playing, like I said, a lot in San Diego, and I had done that for about a decade. Uh, I had, um, like I said, I started probably nineteen ninety, and by night by two thousand, my band had done a lot of stuff. Uh, Hot Rod Lincoln had done a lot of stuff, and we made a lot of noise in San Diego. We're pretty well known in town, and Jocko Marcelino, who's the drummer, original drummer for Shanna lives in uh, La Jolla, and he had heard of me. And they were going through a period and they needed a, a guitar player and they had heard about me. So him and Screamin' Scott, the piano player, uh, came down and I was doing a little gig in downtown San Diego in the gas lamp area. And in comes Jocko and, and, and Scott, and uh, they kind of talked to me. And uh, I think I'd met Jocko once before that, uh, but he hadn't really heard me. And he came up and he approached me and, and listened to me and uh, kind of kind of, kind of of told me what was going on. And then I got a phone call the next day and uh, he said, hey, uh, are you interested? Because we want you. And I was thrilled. It was exciting. I was a fan of the TV show, as everybody was. And the movie Grease, you know, they're all oh, yeah. in Grease. And uh, I even played Woodstock. So I was oh, thrilled wow. to, to get that opportunity. And, and I learned a, a ton from those guys. They were they were so energetic, and they put on such a great show. And uh, I immediately, I remember the first couple shows I did, I, it was almost like whiplash. Where the, the stage would, would come on, and they would just run and jump everywhere. <laughs> and I, I, remember, I remember that that's kind of one of the first things they said. Is they said, listen, you play great, but you gotta, you got to move around. You know? <laughs> 
and so that was really good. They were really good lessons for me, really, really visual and uh, very crowd crowd pleasing and. Uh, and just really good guys to work for. They took really good care of me. I was about 20 years younger than they all were. So they kind of really took me under their wing. And I, and I really learned a lot about just the, the business and traveling and and just kind of entertainment in general from those guys. I really appreciate it. I still, still keep in touch with those guys. I still see some of them uh, pretty regularly. That I, must have been a huge thrill I, for you. Just what I was going to say. <laughs> it, it was incredible. I, I, I remember the first gig I did... Uh, with them, I, it was, I, I, we were playing in Vancouver. So, you know, I remember I get on a, I go to San Diego, Jocko flew out of San Diego as well. And I think he said, yeah, meet me down there. We'll meet you at the airport. And you, we jump on this plane, you know, and I hadn't done a whole lot of plane travel gigs yet. And I jumped on a plane with him. And, uh, and then we flew all the way to, you know, the other, this other country, you know, Vancouver, Canada. And, and you know, I, I, remember, I can still remember walking in the room too, like I had a hotel room. You know, and it just was such another level than what I was used to. I had, I had toured the country a lot with my own bed in a van <laughs> and, you know, shared rooms and, you know, really kind of paid my dues. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm in Vancouver with Sean and I with this big, beautiful room in the Spring Hotel. And, uh, it was a thrill. It really was. It was a huge thrill. And I still so appreciated those guys for that. It was a big break. You must have been just pinching yourself yeah. that whole time. <laughs> it's true. I was still on stage. I look over and I see Donnie, you know, with his uh, glasses on. Uh, Donnie York was one of the original members. He was the guy who always wore the dark sunglasses and the striped shirt. And I'd be sitting there looking over at him and just going, "Man, I used to watch him on TV." <laughs> you know? And then I and then I'd go, "Well, oh, I gotta, you know, what the chords I'm playing?" I'd forget. So, <laughs> you know, it, was, it was a thrill. It was a thrill, but I think it's always important to never lose that. You know, it was, it's great to be get that excited and appreciated and to, to kind of keep that, keep that in your head as you're, as you're performing, because it kind of just kind of brought the best out of me all the time. We are so looking forward to uh, seeing you October 5th at Wayne's Winery. You're going to open for Lee Rocker and you're, I'm sure you're going to sit in on his set a little bit, aren't you? Absolutely. I've been with Lee 20 years, so if Lee's playing, uh, I'm playing. I've done just about every show Love he's it. done, other than the Stray Cats stuff that he's done a few reunions over the last two decades. But yeah, I'm on all his all his last records for the last twenty years, and and uh, and I'm his right hand man. So if whatever he does, I do. But yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, it, nice chance. This is a great opportunity. Ween's is a great place. I'm, it's, we were talking about how we. You saw us there the last time. I haven't been there in a really long time. I know it's a great outdoor stage. Really looking forward to going back there. And uh, it was nice. The opportunity arose that they needed an opener. And uh, Robert was nice enough to uh, allow me to uh, to do that with my own band, which is only about a year old. It's called Buzz Campbell and the Heartaches. And we do a lot of what Hot Rod Lincoln did, but we also have more of a country flavor as well. We're really into that roots country uh 60s bakerfield kind of buck owens thing love it so it's a good fit it'll be a good double bill the music goes together for sure buzz you're sponsored by gretch tell me about some of the guitars you have uh, how much time do we have <laughs> long as you need um thank you um yeah they, they that was another giant thrill i was a huge brian Setzer fan brian Setzer being the lead lead guitar player of the Stray Cats, obviously. And uh, so, of course, I got into Gretsch's really early. And 
when I was awarded sponsorship, I think I got a sponsorship with them in 2000, 2006 or seven. And it was just, it's, it was such a thrill to just to, to be included in the Gretsch family. They've been really good to me. Um, my first Gretsch I got was a White Falcon, um, which was incredible. And I just recently had it painted. It's one of the biggest guitars I have when it comes to hollow bodies. It's 17 and a half inches wide. Wow. And I just recently had it painted pink sparkle. <laughs> and you will see that that night. Because it wasn't enough that it was this big white guitar. I had to paint it pink sparkle. <laughs> so um, uh, it's pretty outrageous looking and something to see for sure. Then I have a beautiful Eddie Cochran model, model I'm looking at right now. It's also a 6120 with P90s in it. It's got a very traditional uh, roots sound to it. And uh, let's see, my third one was uh, a Brian Setzer model, uh, one of his first ones. And he actually had something to do with me getting that one when they came out with his signature model. Um, he he and I were, it was after a show and I was seeing him and he had mentioned it and I, he was, he was able to give me, uh, get me one of his first ones. That was before Gretsch guitars even were, were even under the Fender umbrella, which is pretty special because it, it was a really long time ago and um, although his guitars I think have gotten better and better um, it's kind of neat that I have one of the first ones no and kidding I have them all done with very custom those both have a custom pinstriping that's pretty pretty phenomenal that uh, look pretty great so yeah those are those are my main ones I have a really old one too I have a 58 country club mm. that's signed that's signed from just about just about everybody that I ever really really liked I, I've got B.B. King on there and Johnny wow. Cash and Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings. Wow. All the Stray Cats. Scotty Moore, who's the original. Yes, Elvis. Uh, um, I'm trying to think also. And Carl Perkins, of course. Can't leave oh. He's on there. Wow. So what a, what a treasure. I got to meet a lot of these guys, and I just, I just, I carried that guitar around and had him sign it. And uh, it's pretty special now because a lot of these guys aren't with us anymore. Right. How did you and Lee meet? Oh, that's a great question. So, so my band, I told you, was Hot Rod Lincoln, and we were playing quite a bit in the early 90s, and we had a regular, like, Monday night, which is the worst night of the week any band could have, but that's what you do when you're, when you're starting out, at a place called Bodie's, which was downtown San Diego, owned by a guy named Brett Bodie, and Brett Bodie has since then uh, sold Bodie's, and now he has a club called the Ken Club, or the Kensington Club, which mm -hmm. is in... Uh, Kensington, uh, San Diego. And Brett has been a supporter of, of that music forever. And I was his house band. And he approached me one night and said, hey, Lee Rocker's coming through with this new thing. It's a blues kind of band that Lee has put together called Big Blue. Would you like to open for him? I said, of course, I'd like to open. I was such <laughs> a ginormous stray cancer. I mean, as big as you can get. As a matter of fact, I should go back a little further. I was... I saw my girlfriend at the time took me to see the Stray Cats probably in 89. And I was kind of in my, I was in my first year, second year of college, and I was kind of, kind of just half, half going to school and ditch, ditching a lot and going into the piano rooms and learning to try to play piano like Jerry Lee Lewis and stuff. And so she knew I was a big fan of old roots, uh, 50s music. So she took me to see the Stray Cats, and I saw them the first time. In 1989 in San Diego uh, at the Bacchanal which is a club that's not there anymore and I was so moved 
by it that I actually dropped out of school like the next wow. day and said, I'm just going to focus on my band and music. I'm just going to do that. And uh, so when Lee actually did hire me to be his guitar player, which was many years later, um, I joined Lee in 2004. I told him, well, you owe me. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, well, I dropped out of college. At least you could do is give me a job. You know, so he thought that was pretty funny. And uh, it worked out all right. But uh, let's see. So I met Lee. I opened for him at this bar, Bodie's. And uh, again, I'll never forget it. I, I played my set. And then I went off the stage. I went over to the bar. And somebody tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around. And there was Lee. And he said, hey, you sounded really good. That was great. <laughs> and I looked at him. And I went... I, I, I tried to be cool, and then I just <laughs> fell on the floor, and I went, I'm not one of you. I love it. And I proceeded, to, I proceeded to just tell him what a huge fan and huge inspiration the Stray Cats were to me, and, uh, and we became fast friends instantly. It was, it was really, uh, really quite amazing. I, it, I, I guess it was just meant to be, but that was 30 years ago. So it's pretty, it's been an amazing friendship. Uh, since, since that point, I mean, right after that, we approached him about recording Hot Rod Lincoln, my band at the time, and he produced our first album and third one. So he did all that before I actually joined his band in 2004. So it's been an incredibly long friendship and working relationship. And we've got Robert on the, on the other line. Hey, Robert. You still there? Yeah, I'm right here just taking it all in. This is a great interview. <laughs> we got Robert Rankin-Walker on here, who's at Heyday Events and Promotion, who's putting on this fabulous event October, is it October 5th, isn't it? Yeah, October 5th, Thursday night at Ween's Winery. And Robert, I've got to commend you for putting on these absolutely wonderful concerts. And this one is probably at the top of your your list of, of fabulous concerts, and we are so looking forward to being there. Robert, give our listeners your website so they can get tickets. Yeah, so if I get tickets, they're on Heyday, H-E-Y-D-A-Y, heyday.com. That's easy enough. Buzz, thank you yeah, so very fun. much for your time, and we can't wait to see you on the 5th. Hey, right back at you. Thank you, Robert, for having us. It's going to be a great show. Uh, Robert and I go back pretty far, too, and we're really looking forward to it. We've been talking about doing something for a while, so... Uh, well, yeah, hey, Buzz, you and I might go back farther than you realize. I grew up in San Diego, used to play Bodies and Bacchanal, too, and did I ever see you play a place called Patrick's? Was yeah, probably. Patrick's? Yes, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to see a lot of old rockabilly bands down there, and I remember Hot Rod Lincoln back in the night. <laughs> it's it haunts me forever. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a great haunt to have. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. You know, it's neat because we, we all are, are uh, we've all gotten a little older, and, and it's always neat to, to 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 hear about stuff like that and to remember some of the folks that you know when we were all kind of just barely barely old enough to have a drink or something and. And then, right. and then so many years later, here we are hanging out and friends and working together and everything else. So, um, yeah, yeah that's still so pretty cool, Robert. Robert. Yeah. 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 Well, Buzz, you know, Tom, Tom and I are both professional photographers. So when we see you that night, we'll be taking a lot of photos. Yep. That would be fantastic. I, I, uh, I spent a lot of time focusing on that sparkle paint job so that you focus on that, not my face. Well, <laughs> I'll focus on it all, let me tell you. 
And if you could shoot us a couple of MP3s that we could play on our uh, on our show, that would be great. Happy to. Perfect. Thank you so much, Buzz. Thank you. We looked so forward to seeing you. My pleasure. Look forward to seeing you as well. We're going to be talking with Lee right after this. So, anything you want me to say to Lee? <laughs> Uh, tell them I'll, I'll make sure I'm on time that day. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Bye-bye, Buzz. Bye, Robert. Great. Thank you right, both. Got a woman who loves me And I know her love's true And anything she wants of me Is what I'm gonna do so when she tells me sweetly, please don't drink anymore, I say, darling, of this you can be sure. I ain't drinking anymore, my life's a mess, only trouble is, I ain't drinking any less.
Wow. Buzz Campbell. Yeah. So cool. He's amazing. And we just listened to More or Less. Yeah. By Buzz Campbell mm-hmm. and the Heartaches. And that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that's available on uh, Spotify or uh, any of your podcast platforms, your online music sources, Amazon. Uh, so I would encourage you to go out and buy Buzz's music. It's so good. I mean, it really is. I just love that. And it's so different than what I'm usually listen to and isn't that nice to have people switch it up a little bit yes yes i'm really broadening my uh, my musical taste there and i've been a little bit of an influence on that yes you have you've gotten me out of my rock and roll stage you've gotten <laughs> me into more things I've so gotten you to like a little bit of country well yeah i mean i've always liked a little bit of country you know a little bit of this and that but and what are you uh, feasting on right now, Cat Ellis? This beautiful sourdough <laughs> you brought back from uh, up north. Yep. And this traditional brie. And apples that my sister grew on their island in, off the coast of Washington. And we're drinking sparkling. So what more could ask for on there a Sunday go. afternoon? It's a perfect Sunday. Chords and Vines and Dines. Yes. is brought to you uh, by our official produce sponsor, Melissa's Produce, melissas.com. And I'm going to wait while Kat takes a bite of... Uh, I'm all good. I could talk about my <laughs> That's, I mean, that's what sourdough should taste like. It I, is. Isn't that heaven? This whole this whole little feast we have here is just total heaven. Well, that's all from my recent trip that I just returned from and yesterday. And having you here. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Right back at you. Thank you. We were just, uh, just having a blast out here with cords pines and dines yes we are all right so we're going to end the show with another one from buzz and next week uh we've got lee rocker Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm sure it's going to happen this time yes and we have robert from uh, the temecula cookie company and i've tasted one of their cookies in their home the first ingredient butter (laughs) <laughs> that's that's the first ingredient in their cookies, butter. That sounds so good. Yes, I I brought a cookie home from that event and I gave it and to my grandson. grandson. I, I never it. got it. I never got a chance to taste it, but yep. that's a testament in its own when the grandkids grab it and it's gone. Yep. All right. Until next week. And they, we're going to. Oh, go say we're just going to finish off with uh, red tail lights from we're, Buzz Campbell. Yep. And the heartaches. Perfect. See you next week. Bye. Caught my eye as she sped by in passing Was wild and free and I never saw it lasting Drove me to tears when she said we're through and when I see red tail lights, they always make me blue. How I hoped and prayed that we would never part. But the road to love would lead to broken hearts. And as she drove away, it changed my point of view. Now when I see red tail lights, they always make me blue. Bright traffic lights, long and lonely nights, a love life 
This is Robert Rankin Walker here with Chords, Vines, and Dines. So excited to be talking to you guys. Can't stay home tonight, so I go out for a bite. But it just don't look right. It's no fun, cause people stare at me. Sympathetically, when I tell the Mater D I'm a party of one, I get home each night and leave on a light, wishing she'd forgive things I've done. But every day goes by, not to my surprise, I've come to realize I'm a party of one. No knocks on the door, no footsteps on the floor There's always room for more when there's none So drinks are on me, complimentary Of pain and misery, I'm a party of one
leave on a light Wishing she'd forgive things I've done But every day goes by Not to my surprise I can't realize 